This podcast is brought to you by Balls of the E in association with Carry Out Off Licence, Ireland's number one independent off licence. And welcome to the Brent Pope Rugby World Cup show. It's me, Mick McCarthy from Balls.ie here, alongside Brent Pope in studio with me. Brent, how are you? Very good, thanks. Looking forward to getting on the plane tomorrow to uh, Japan. I have uh, Kanishiwa, that's it. <laughs> Kanishiwa. Um, I've been there a few times, so I kind of know the kind of a little bit about the culture and the, how you're meant to bow, when you're meant to bow, how you're meant to bow. Um, you know, they place a lot of. Uh, a lot of their culture is around respect. So when you go into another country, even though you, uh, you're supporting support and rugby, which is not a huge game. Well, it is a huge game in, in certain parts, but, yeah. you know. The like feedback, a lot of places, really. Yeah, rugby, the feedback yeah. I'm getting is really, you know, Tokyo hasn't come alive to the World Cup, probably because most of them don't follow rugby. So that'll probably start happening when the fans come in. Uh, from this weekend on, building up to quarterfinals, semis, finals, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what sort of job Japan do because see it's a forerunner for the for the Olympics too, mm. in, a, in, in a certain degree. So how they how they could, I think they'll control things well on the ground as far as stadium, all the security, all those things. I just wonder about will it ignite the passion of the Japanese to rugby. Yeah, hopefully it's an interesting yeah. choice for a place anyway, and I think it is good to broaden the horizons of Absolutely. the game. Just to kind of let Absolutely. people know, uh, myself and Brent did this show with thanks to Carry Out Back for the Six Nations. It was a video show. We've ex- we've we've changed up the format a little bit. This yeah. we're going to get a little bit more in depth. Do it as a podcast. We'll be with you every week all the way through the World Cup. Really looking forward to some of the chats. We're going to be talking to you as you said when you're in Japan next week. So you're flying out to Japan. Yep. That is like so as you said, you've been there before. It'll be interesting to see how they take to the World Cup, how much of it goes on. It's funny because you've been, I've been getting kind of conflicting reports. Yeah. So the journalists are looking through the, the English uh, language papers and saying, it's all sumo wrestling, there's no rugby yeah. here. But then at the same time, 8,000 people go and watch Wales train. Yeah. It's like there is, there's a hunger there that I think, and Japanese people do kind of go towards the event as well, don't Absolutely. they? So they'll, they'll go to their local events. And well, they're told to go. <laughs> no, they are. A lot of them, you see... Why rugby kind of took off was because it became the sport that the big organisations wanted to play a part in. So the Asanios, your Panasonics, they all had uh, uh, top teams and they always got players. They had a fascination with all black players for, for a while. That's now extended over to Southern Hemisphere players, predominantly from Australia, Tongan, Samoan, Fijian players like to play in their league. If you look at the Japanese sides... You know, they spend a fair bit of money on it. It was mm. always it was always a, a place where, you know, All Blacks would radiate for a few years to, to to make a serious amount of money, and that hasn't changed. So, to fill the stadiums, you were told that this was your local team, this was your company team, be it Sanyo. It's not like supporting Kilkenny or whatever or, or the the GAA and area. It's it's who you work for. So they are told to go to the games and they are told to support their local rugby team. But that's sort of moved up now a little bit because they're adopting it you know it's 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 pretty high up in their sporting teams uh in a sense obviously it would be behind football and behind traditional sports like sumo wrestling Mm. and 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 that but i mean it's up there it's up there and it's growing and i think this world cup 
I think you're right. It, it's great to see it in a, in a country that is that rugby, rugby isn't the major sport. So it'll be just interesting to see whether or not the Japanese public can really, because they might look at rugby as being a game that's pretty hard to understand. It's like the Irish following cricket. You know, they mm. always want to know the rules. But <laughs> no, I'm really looking forward to it because I think I I think I warn people about. I didn't warn them in the in, in the wrong way. I warned them in the right way about don't expect don't expect that it's going to be an Irish type culture. I mean, you're not going to go down the road and find a diddly eye music in the corner bar, and it's not going to be that type of World Cup. You might end up in a karaoke bar, you know, playing darts or something, singing karaoke, and 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 you know. But I think that's the wonderful thing about the experience is that you're going for the first time in the history of the World Cup. You're going to a completely different culture. Uh, where you know there's n- still rugby is in its infancy. Yeah, yeah. and in in terms of the actual games, then as well for the fan experience, like it is, it's it's a very different kind of sporting crowd as well. It's kind of a lot more yeah. polite and reserved, exactly. and like kind yeah. of golf claps as Absolutely. well, isn't it? But yeah, no, but, yeah. It, but it actually, that, I, I I've, I've read this before. I think it was about a different sport, but you know that that is often confused with a kind of a lack of interest or a passive kind of. But it actually, oh, that no. is it's more of a respect thing, isn't respect. it? Respect, yeah. Uh, their the, the culture, their culture is founded a lot on respect, both in business and sport. You know, you conduct yourself immaculately at all occasions you know like I mean that doesn't mean to say they don't you know you, we've only got to go back to the last World Cup when South Africa beat when Japan beat South Africa and that was so emotional to oh, watch yeah. the Japanese staying there and, and and elderly men crying and that because of the pride they have in their national identity um, so that way yes there'll be there'll be there'll be no screaming and shouting and jumping and down you know inappropriately it'll all be very appropriate but I think that's 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 a good thing too, you know. I mean, I'm looking forward to going to the. Uh, funny enough, funny enough that the the the, the, the sev- there's a seventy thousand uh, stadium for the first match, which is of course Ireland Scotland match. But then the Ireland Japan match is only played in what fifty fifty two thousand mm. or something. So, you know, better atmosphere maybe. Yes, better atmosphere. It's it's hard to say whether they thought that there were going to be more people be interested in going to the you know, to the to the Scottish Irish match because Japanese fans like Chinese fans know all about rugby players. I mean, Sonny Bill Williams and these players are idolised in Japan. I mean, they're like sort of rock stars, you know, like the All Blacks are like rock stars over there. So they do know their rugby and they do know the players they're looking out for and they do know, they would know the Brian O'Driscoll's and, and these guys. They would, you know, they would know enough about the game to, to, to follow them on a world stage so it'll just be whether or not it'll be just you know it'll just be how the occasions pan out yeah well we're looking forward to seeing how it goes obviously we'll be getting going in just a couple of uh, a couple of days now but yeah. Japan Russia the first game is a kind of yeah. an interesting one but, game, but Saturday yeah. is amazing and we'll get to all that in a couple of minutes but just in terms of the World Cup itself right so we're coming into you were you should have been at the first World Cup yeah. in 1987 yeah. I about that. but when you think about how far it's come oh, now yeah. in not that long a period of time we're talking 30 years 32 years every single four years it just becomes a bigger and bigger occasion a bigger and bigger occasion and, and, and it's funny you should say that because I was very emotional the other night because I, I I was watching the I was watching one of the classic games which was which was uh, the All Blacks playing in one of the first matches against Italy uh, famous probably because John Kerwin scored that fantastic try yeah. I think he ran through 14 uh, Italians <laughs> at the time 
but that would have been presumably the game I would have played because I was pulled out of the of the World Cup squad like uh, days before the tournament. So I know how players felt about. I look back now, put it this way, I look back now on my career and I'm wondering if I didn't rabbit for the try line 30 seconds before the end of that final trial match, uh, which it was a build-up match like in the friendlies, if I hadn't have rabbited for the try line, got my arm caught behind the post and broken it and, 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 and been out, uh, what my life would have been like. And, you know, Zinzanbrook wasn't involved in any of those warm-up matches. Uh, and that's the truth, and that's a fact. And he admitted himself. He was flowing in. He was flowing in. He'd been playing a game for the Auckland Sevens the day before, and John Hart got onto him, who's one of the selectors, and they flew him in because I had an ability to play three different positions. And in the warm-up matches, I played at at um, at six, seven, and eight. Um, you know, against Michael Jones in the first trial, then against Buckshelf, and the, so they saw me as being that player that that would be versatile. I'm not saying I would have replaced Michael Jones, who went on to be a phenomenal, or even Buckshelf, or even Zinzabrook later in his career. But that would have been my World Cup. And and it'll forever be a haunting memory for me because when players start to roll off the tongue of the greatest players that the All Blacks have ever produced in the back row, the names Michael Jones, Wayne Shelford, Wayne Buckshelford, Zinzabrook are all commonly referred to. And you wonder as a sports person, how good could I have been? Could I have been up in that elite group at some stage? And you have to believe in your own... It's not being... Like any top sports person will say, is you want to be the best. And it's not being egotistical to say, I would have liked to have been tested at my best with those players. Yeah, at that level, yeah. At that level, because I played with them... I played for them... uh, I played against them week in, week out. And I always gave as good as account of myself. I mean, I've, I've lots of headlines there would say, you know, Brent Pope up against Buckshelf or something for North Harbour over in a target at the, at, at the same stage. And I would have come out with equal plaudits that he did. Mm. And, and again, that's, that's not upping myself. That's just, yeah. that's just, I wanted to play in a world cup and I wanted to play. I come from a small rural area of, 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 of New Zealand. I would have remained the only, player from my school or from my area that would have made it to a world cup and and you know like sometimes it's just it's 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 a sad memory yeah know? does it get worse as things as time goes on because obviously there wasn't the opportunity and also because of kind of what the world cup has yeah. become a world cup was, we didn't even know what the world cup was going to be in in 1987 really yeah no it does get worse yeah it does get worse because i mean you know and even you know outside of this podcast i i talk a lot about mental health mm. issues in sport and, and, and in business and in life in general. And that definitely at the time affected my mental health yeah, because suddenly yeah. when Paul, suddenly sports people will talk about having dream like it, it's every, when, when the world cup was mooted, it was every, it was every rugby player's dream in New Zealand to play in a world cup, not just in a test series, but in a world cup when you were playing against other teams and to win the world cup in your own country was everybody's dream. Yes. It's moved on as far as logistically, I suppose, as you know, the stadiums, they play the world, the world crowd and it's made world greats of players, but it still remains that kind of dream that you have. And when somebody pulls that dream or that rug away from you on your dreams, it's, it's, it's shattering and it'll remain a regret. Now I've nothing to regret because it was an injury situation. It wasn't that I wasn't, um, 
good fit, enough for ready to go, try, wasn't yeah. good enough, all those things. But it still hurts. It still hurts. And, Obviously, you know, yeah. And anybody that anybody that that says it doesn't is mistaken because to get to the pinnacle and put yourself up against players and then try to force yourself into that starting 15 ahead of Michael Jones or Wayne Shelford or, or, or Alan Wetton at that stage, that would have been that would have been fantastic. But look, it wasn't meant to be. I wouldn't be in Ireland. My life would have been different. Some people would say, wish you'd been in that team, wish you'd... But, you know, sliding doors. And Things I, happen for a reason, yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. know that all the time, but I, I, I just know that my life would have been different. You know, but it was a different game. Of course, it was an amateur game because Craig Green, who was a good uh, t- a teammate of mine at university, uh, Craig and I, Craig was a scaffolder and he won a World Cup on the Saturday and he was back scaffolding on the Monday, yeah. you know, back in his job in Christchurch, up a, uh, up a ladder or something like that. So since that time, I think memorable World Cups for me, obviously, even though New Zealand lost, was 95 because I think it, it, it announced one John Olamu to the world and I don't think we've had a player since that time that's made the impact on world rugby that he did. Um, it was great for apartheid South Africa in the sense that I actually, when I look back, I'm glad South Africa won. I think it made a huge difference to their country at that time um, and I was always anti-Tour in New Zealand. I marched against the Tours um, in those early days uh, so I really believe that you couldn't, you had to, you had to include sport in, in what was happening in that country. So to bring that country together around Nelson Mandela, you know, I don't know that that'll happen again. So they mm. remain special memories of a World Cup that meant more than just about the It was race. more, exactly, and that's why 95 will always stick out. It's funny, though, you mentioned uh, your working memories, because I literally was just scribbling down on top of my head here kind of every World Cup since 87, yeah. and you've obviously been covering so many of them as a pundit. I'm just trying to... Well, all of them. The one thing that six. sticks out for me for all of them. So 91... The I think the Ireland Australia match yeah. in Lansdowne Road to try in the corner. <laughs> then ninety five. I actually, and I have here's a, here's a yeah. quick story. Not interrupt you. No, go ahead. I have the ball from that game. I was I was I was like a lot of people. I was at that match because a lot of all my, my friends. That was my first year in Ireland, and I would meet up with some of the Otago All Blacks, Mike Brewer, Paul Henderson, Andy, all those guys. I'd meet up with them the Westbury, and I knew I knew they weren't going to win that World Cup okay. because there, were, there was there was a division at that stage between John Hart and Alex Wiley. John Hart was a kind of an Auckland uh, guy, business guy. Uh, Alex Wiley, Alex Griswiley was a sort of face of rugged Cantabrian rugby, and they just didn't gel. They didn't gel. So when we went to the hotel to meet up with players, I could see a division between the Auckland players and the South Island players. Such a division that they weren't even sitting in the same place. So I knew that they would lose that game to, against Australia. I knew it. Even if you look at the selection now, it didn't, it didn't make sense. Mm. The players that, that I suppose came through in that, that, that stage, I was watching it the other night, that game. But roll that back because Australia shouldn't have even made it because I was just right at that fence when, when Hamilton scored that try, amazing try. And I thought, my God, I'm only going to win this. And only for the, only that last minute. Time was almost up. The like. Time was up. <laughs> and Michael Lyon had got that little flip, yeah. flip pass away or whatever. But I was coming back from Legs nightclub and I found a signed jersey and a ball from that match, and I still have them at home. And they were crumpled up in the gutter. I'm just walking back past the Lansdowne Road and probably in a bit of a haze at that stage. I look down, and there's the, there's the signed match ball 
and a signed Australian jersey, <laughs> and I washed them both up. They were covered in dirt and that, and so they'd been obviously gone under buses and shot into the gutter. But I, st- I, I, I still have that signed ball from that match, and that was a fan- That's a memory too. What a match. Wow. And Hamilton to... And just even the celebrations. Like oh, we, yeah. we were watching sort of like, I, I can just see him there. That wasn't even a very good Ireland team, really. I think no, they'd got the wooden spoon in the Six Nations. It wasn't, and... a great, it wasn't a great team. It was just that breakaway try that you thought, somebody's going to pick up Hamilton over the 50 metres. Somebody's going to get him. And then suddenly you thought, no, they're not going to get him. He's going to score. Yeah. It's funny that was your first year in Ireland because it was a very quick introduction into uh, the Irish, uh, the glorious victory, or the glorious defeat, yeah. uh, the moral victory, yeah. you know, uh, of, of us going ahead in the last minute of a World Cup game and then still somehow losing by conceding a try. Well, and they never would have gone any further because yeah. there wouldn't have been the self-belief. They would have dined out on that. Like the, the other match, I was at, remains a, a memory for the wrong reasons, was when France defeated the All Blacks in Cardiff. That's on the line, 99. Yeah. <laughs> oh, in 07. In 07 in as well, 07, actually. Yeah, I was yeah, there yeah. when they made Sorry. when they lost, ran out of out halves, and I had friends coming over, including guys taking tours, and Earl and a few ex All Black mates of mine were coming over, and the, the New Zealand supporters weren't arriving to somewhat arrogantly, I may say, to the semi-finals, and suddenly they were left. For, they were having to go on a wine tour to France or something yeah. because they 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 were trying to sell their tickets, but but that match that match would have been the same way that Ireland would have, I think, that, that was that was France's World Cup. Yeah. And they went out and they celebrated and they never went any further. And lost to the poor But England that game then, was yeah. enough for them to dine out and that would have been the same for that Ireland match against Australia. I had 91 Ireland-Australia, you yep. mentioned. I had 95 Lomu, yep. who you mentioned. I, my, yep. Lomu, my cat, is what I wrote because that's my yeah. main memory yeah, of yeah, just yeah, running yeah, over yeah. my cat. Yeah. 99, the France-New Zealand game, is yeah. like the, that semi-final was just one of the most exhilarating one games of, of rugby ever, games ever, yeah. ever seen. Yeah. 03 then, I think yeah. it was it was all about England. England. It was Johnny yeah. Wilkinson. Yeah. And then 07, I did. I had two words written down. I had Weird and Freddie Michelak. So yeah. Michelak was so good in that yeah. 07 game. But the entire tournament was just weird. All the big teams didn't show up. You ended up with the South Africa England final that was just neither team were at their and no best. sour grapes. But looking yeah. back on how how forward how forward that ball was from from Indermac in that game, you know the, yeah. the forward pass. <laughs> like, and that's not that's not saying New Zealand would have gone on, on gone on to win it. Um, yeah, there's other there's other there's other memories. You're right about England. It was about England. In, two, in, in 03 you know but yeah. it wasn't a particularly great tournament no uh, I kind of have a memory of um, of uh, was it Keith Wood and Galtier after the quarter final when you kind of knew both of them were That's retiring right. Galtier right. obviously went memory. on to one see, match other see things, yeah. other things bring up the memory bank and it's like you know when when, when Samoa when, when they you say that you know thank God it wasn't the whole of Samoa it was only Western Samoa beating uh, <laughs> Wales in that game where Pat Lamb was playing yeah Fantastic, you know Canada in 1987. Those teams, those minnows, Japan last time out. When when a minnow, you know, and it could have happened to Ireland. You know, <laughs> 07 against what Georgia and Romania. Georgia, very close. That yeah. would have been that would have been one of the bigger biggest upsets in, in in World Cup history, given where Ireland were at that stage and given where Georgia were. So, I always like those games. Sadly, sadly, the game has moved on to. I don't think we're going to see. Too many upsets in this World Cup. I think it's pretty easy to look at your your four quarter finalists or whatever, eight quarter finalists. So it's pretty easy to come up with. I don't think, apart from Japan, possibly. Mm. I don't think we're going to get any of those shocks where suddenly a team like Russia or the US or something or you know comes up or Namibia 
yeah. get a few wins and get through the quarterfinals. That's that's not going to happen, and, and that's it, a sad thing. It's sad in its own way, yeah. Like I mean, eleven. I think then it's, it's almost like the 07 defeat almost became worth it for New Zealand because they kind of fell over the line against yeah. and course, France in the final, but they did finally do 2011 it. again because of the earthquake uh, in New Zealand. And because of the fact that it was such a tight game that France actually probably could have won coming from nowhere, that was the danger of yeah. France because they hadn't performed. They had performed poorly in the pool stages to get through. They only just limped through. Mm. And then, of course, to pull out that game when McCaw and that were playing that, you know, in the last 10 minutes, you felt that France were going to win. No, that. they're hanging on so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. And it was just such a French thing. But what, they... it meant to, what it meant to New Zealanders at that stage, given that the year that New Zealand had had, and given that a lot of the players like McCaw and Cart and these guys were Cantabrians and had lost, you know, people they knew in the, in, in the, in the earthquake, it was quite emotional for me. And it, it really meant a lot to win it. And that, having said that, if you'd said to me in 1987, that it would be, what, another four World Cups yeah. before New Zealand won it, I would have said, I'll eat yeah. my hat right it, here and now. Exactly, yeah. So you they know. didn't win it for, like, no. so 91, 95, 99, 03, yeah, and 07. Like, it's yeah. pretty amazing. Like, yeah. So I suppose, and then I have 15, I thought, I think Japan was the story yeah. there, you know, yeah. so whatever, obviously, Again. it didn't kick on. It was a fairly normal World Cup after that. Absolutely. But there is something every time and there's loads more that I've missed out on you oh, bring, bringing up Samoa you know yeah. France these teams that you, you're writing off a bit at your peril absolutely you Argentina know. and Ireland in 99 as well like you take take the France New Zealand out of it that was a huge shock at the time you know there's a lot of there's there's something the every time too, it? whether it's yeah. uh, Kao whether it's uh, you know Lomu or whether it's this year it's uh, Chiz and Colby you know there's always a player that will emerge that yeah. becomes a sort of a world favourite yeah, and it's usually it's usually a player just on pure sort of guts or whatever. Whether it was the chiropractor, you know, the the, the Samoan guy that was playing in his fourth, uh, what was his name? That they nicknamed the chiropractor because when he tackled players, he had to go to the chiropractor. Was, uh, <laughs> uh, oh, the, the Samoan winger, but uh, playing in his fourth World Cup, people become favourites of of people watching out there because they like them. You know, they like them as, as, as characters and they like them as players and they don't ha all have to come from the top teams. They may come from Tonga, they may come from Fiji. You know, Fiji always unearth a couple of amazingly skillful players that people love to watch. And speaking of Fiji, the, so we mentioned Japan and Russia. Mm. So it, 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 I, I suppose I go through that list to say there's always a moment and it'll yeah. be interesting. It'll be almost interesting for us to talk in a few weeks' time to see like yeah. what might have been that one, Absolute that almost spotting the memory game. that's we're going to be yeah. talking about in 16 years or whatever. But speaking of, uh, you know, so it's going to be Japan and Russia, but that's Saturday morning. Like, I don't know, it won't be Saturday morning for you, and I don't know what your yeah. schedule is. For the rest of us, we'll be getting up at five o'clock in the morning, oh, yeah. getting the coffee oh, on. New Zealand, for, South Africa, and... Uh, yeah, Australia-Fiji is such oh, a great yeah. way to start, and it's the worst of the three games by a mile, because then you've and got yet, France... And it could be the best one, because uh, Fiji... I, worst was totally the wrong word there, sorry. Most unheralded, I, mean. I, I almost meant. The, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the less heralded of the So three. exciting, like, yeah. Oh, absolutely, because Fiji, Fiji are exactly one of those sides we talked about that could that could spring something. I don't think they're probably getting Australia at the wrong time rather than the best. I think I think Fiji's strength is probably in again, you see, the problem the problem lies now in in uh rugby at World Cups become like chess. When do you put out your best team? When do you risk your best team? Teams like Fiji, Tonga, 
these teams, Russia even, Japan especially, can only really put out their stars for one or two matches. So they've, yeah. got, to, they've got to pick those matches. Who are we likely to beat? So we put out our best teams to get a win. Then who can we have a crack at? And if you look at, I know Jamie Joseph well, I played with Jamie for a number of years, and Tony Brown, both Otago uh, players. They were over at the before the Six Nations looking at the team that they would specifically target after weekend one. So should Ireland win, you would think Japan six days later would put out a weakened side against Ireland thinking, well, okay, Ireland are going to go through. Mm. as probably pool group winners. So now let's have a crack at Scotland to be runners-up. Conversely, if Scotland managed to beat Ireland, they may face a pretty tough game against Japan six days later if Japan put out their, their A side. Because they don't want to do what happened last time, which is beat South Africa and still not get out of no, the group. No, still so not get out of the group. Th- their target is to have... Obviously, on, that wasn't in their absolutely. hands because it was the first game. Absolutely. But their target is to have the match for yeah. qualification, like in a, a, a yeah. last 16 fight quarterfinals yeah. sooner yeah. So, and sooner than later yeah and rather than wait rather than wait to Scotland for the last match where they could be ravaged by injury they would rather say okay well it's Ireland Ireland lost and we're going to have a crack at them because because should Ireland lose two matches in a row and Japan win one then they would only have to look at beating Scotland in the last match for definite qualification so yeah. it's there's a lot of chess involved in that so a, a bit the same as Fiji do Fiji realistically have a crack off Australia, or do they have a crack off Wales, or you know, what's their thinking? It's not the easiest group in the world. No, it's not. None of them are. But no, Fiji. Like, how much stock should we put in the fact that Fiji beat France last November? You know, I, I, I know. In terms of their ability to launch a one-off performance, like France were. Yeah, in a bit a of disarray let's face business. it like they weren't themselves no and that even themselves isn't the greatest standard at the moment sometimes you know no it's not um, but at the same time like Fiji can yeah, like they well, have the rugby players they to, have the skill yeah also there's another thing that people people aren't talking about they also have the 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 playing conditions in the sense that Japan Japan is very much like Fiji in terms of conditions uh, a slippery ball uh, high humidity you know the Fijians are, are used to playing on the beach and they're used to playing in the heat um, also a hard ground Fijians don't like soft puggy grounds because they're, they're, they're a confidence team mm. the only thing that lets Fijian rugby down and has always let Fijian rugby down is set piece plays physically they're not a tall race of people. Uh, you know, they, they, they struggle to produce six foot seven, six foot eight guys that are needed in the second row. They don't have a problem with producing props with the right physiques. It's just that technique wise. See, Fijians don't want to hang around the scrum of the lineouts. They want to get out there like seven team, yeah. And yeah. throw the ball over their back of their of their of their shoulder or whatever to an uncommon plat. Now if it sticks, if it sticks and they get they get ahead of you they're very hard to pin back because then they become a confident team. And I played a lot on the islands against Samoa, Fiji, Tongan over my career. And you always tried to blow them away in the first 10 or 15 minutes. Take their psychological interest out of the game because if they're still in the game with 10 minutes to go, I mean, they are the one team, you know, that probably the one team in the world, more so than anyone, that could, that could manufacture a try from their own goal line if those passes stick mm. or whatever and they go for it because fantastic athletes you'll get guys are six foot four running in the back line you know they have huge wingers you know you see the damage they do in the french club game um i just 
Yeah, yeah, it's too big an ask. Yeah, I think it's too big yeah. of an ask. I think, but hopefully that's a good game. Hopefully the New Zealand South African game mm. is a cracker because that'll that'll also play a lot into Joe Schmidt's thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ireland, though, are like I mean, you know, taken. I don't want to be disrespectful to Japan, but let's just say things yeah. fall as they're yeah. supposed to. As you, you know, and you know, without taking it for granted, no, but just for no, us, I agree. You know, Scotland Ireland will have to assume they can beat Japan yeah. or else they have no business out Ireland of the Ireland will get Cup. out of their pool. You know, absolutely will. But, yeah. you know, if South Africa, New Zealand, hmm. if South Africa win that game. Yeah. No, I know what you're I'm not gonna, No, I, I absolutely don't think they should be throwing a game. Ireland, the most no. important thing Ireland have at the moment is com- or that, that need to get exactly. back is confidence. Exactly. And I think they need to go and try and win the game no, by 20 but points. Like but it's just, it will saying. be a weird psychological thing for them absolutely. knowing that the better we do here, the more likely we're to play New Zealand. Well, you know? it, it depends on Joe Schmidt's thinking. Does he want to play South Africa or does he want to play New Zealand? And and why that first game has become so important is this. If New Zealand beat South Africa well, then Ireland can probably rest quite easily and say, OK, well, let's start to plan for South Africa now. I think we have the game plan. We've beaten them before. You know, we should have won a series out there. Yeah. We should have won matches the last time they were played against the other Ireland won by a landslide. They would look at it like that. Conversely, if South Africa beat New Zealand well, uh, then they've got a probably a, a, a different way of looking at it. And I don't get. I'm not going to rain on any predictions parade here. I don't get where suddenly I was kind of boohooed off the stage on a couple of times the last couple of months saying that I think that Joe would prefer to play South Africa, and I believe that because I think that. The Irish players know that they can beat South Africa. With New Zealand, yes, they do know over the last over the last meetings in Chicago and then back here that they can beat the All Blacks. It's just the All Blacks. It doesn't happen as regularly mm. for teams, and they will be facing they would be facing a backlash. So they'll be facing an All Black team that would have lost that match, and be looking to go out of the World Cup at a quarterfinal stage. They could anyway, and I think to Ireland. I think I think Joe Schmidt has a better game plan for South Africa. We're hearing that South Africa are the form side, but where is that coming from? It's literally what I was about I to ask you because it's funny. We were talking to Stephen Ferris on the show um, a couple of weeks ago, and he was kind of hinting yeah. the same thing as you. Is that is there are like it, it'd be like us? It's kind of the same with England, except I think we know this yeah. England team a little yeah. bit more. Absolutely. And but like the rugby championship this year was a preseason tournament. It wasn't, you exactly. know, and that's my it, point. It wasn't the Six Nations, and like, they didn't you know? play back to back. So yeah. the form we're seeing is based on two things. It's based on Erasmus going back in South Africa and giving them some organisation and a stout defence. We get that. But they struggled a bit in Buenos Aires. Yes, they got the win over Australia. And yes, they got, you know, they got a, 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 a last-minute draw against New Zealand. They played considerably better in New Zealand. Mm. And that's where the form is coming from. And I get it because... I get it because they're sending pictures around of, on social media of the guys without their shirts on, and they are ripped. Look, we know they're a huge physical presence. We know that. But that's the one thing that we do know. You know the way South Africa are going to play, that they're going to probably try to strangle teams out of the game. Now, that becomes a little bit more difficult in high humidity when you're carrying around a body weight of 21 or 22 stone and you're trying to get around the field like the way that the All Blacks will try to play them. And the way that the All Blacks play South Africa will be the same way I suggest that Joe Schmidt will try to play South Africa if they have to play that, meaning 
tire them out, move them from um, um, set piece to set piece, throw in a few, you know, quick restarts, keep them moving, keep them moving, keep yeah. them moving. So, and kick like their their strength is the yeah, front line defense. Absolutely, turn kick them, kick it over them. Turn <laughs> them. Put, put put little jinx kicks in behind their back line. Stop them coming in. Put the ball into the corner. Get Johnny Sexton or Connor Murray to thread the ball into the corner. Get their big forwards turning around, because no player. No player in that kind of humidity or heat wants to trudge back 20 metres to another line out. You know, that they don't want to play that. That is where, having said that, I'm not coming from it either as a, like I've been in this country longer than I, I, I've lived in New Zealand. I'm not saying New Zealand's all uh, rosy as well, because certainly I think that Steve Hansen was loyal to the tune of probably some detriment in the sense that some of those players have to pre- pre- perform. And I'm talking about players like Kieran Reid and, and these types of players who have been around, Sonny Bill Williams, who have been around a long time, and they haven't really got back to the form, age, you know, uh, mm. precipitating, they haven't really got back to that type of form that he needs them to be in. And he's been loyal to them, um, and that's great. But, I mean, even Lamar Fay there, who they left behind, had a, had a stunning match last weekend, which was a, a sort of a one-finger salute to the mm. selectors. And to leave, you know, guys like Moody behind, to leave some of the more experience behind, it'd be interesting to see. I think Barrett will go back into out half for those big matches. There was talk of Moanga, but I don't think that'll well, be see, the That's case. what I was going to ask you. So the, that's the argument in New Zealand is, do you have, you know, the two playmakers in Barrett at 15? But it's almost like you're taking Ben yeah. Smith out of his best position. Absolutely. You're taking Barrett out of I'd his agree. best position just to, I'd agree. to uh, facilitate just to accommodate one person. Something that may happen or may not. Richie Moanga, as Rono Gar will tell you, work with him. The Crusaders is, is, is an, an extremely talented prospect. Bowden Barrett doesn't become twice World Player of the Year for, for without a reason. I mean, I think their best combination is, is Barrett at 10 and put players in their rightful position. Now, there'll the, be a bit of rejig in the back three because you've got the new caps, George Bridge and, and Severo Reese coming in now mm. um, to throw a few options in there. And they're young and experienced players. But I think there's a kind of a sign that New Zealand could really play it all out, attacking game. Um, and, you know, again, will it be enough? I, I don't know. I, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be betting necessarily on a New Zealand win the first up. I think they will win, but that's just coming from a bit of sentiment rather than anything <laughs> logical. Yeah, I know, I know. In terms of us all looking forward to Saturday, though, if you're looking at and the people you talk to in New Zealand and sometimes their cards close to their chest, but yeah. there's a lot of coverage... Would you say that Ireland are on the radar enough that they would look at the difference between Ireland and Scotland as a quarterfinal as absolutely. making this South Africa game a really big deal? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I know. I know from speaking to a, lot of, to a lot of the rugby players over the years that have come over here. And, you know, I'm talking some of the key players. I don't mean sort of, you know, people just following the team. I mean in the, in the all-black camp. For the last number of years, I'm probably going back five or six years, Ireland has made a huge dent into what New Zealanders think about Irish rugby. They fear Ireland. Mm. They fear Ireland. They did a year ago, they do now. They don't fear Scotland as much. Scotland have never beaten them for a start. They don't have the same air of kind of, you know, when you go through, most New Zealanders would know who players are. They'd have a pretty good read on, on, on you know, whether it's Gary Ringrose, of course, Bundyaki, they know, Rob Carney, these players that have been around. They would know who their key playmakers are. Johnny Sexton, I mean, Johnny Sexton's, you know, a household name out in New Zealand. 
everybody you talk to knows who Johnny Sexton is or Conor Murray. They they would have been regarded, even in New Zealand, as the form halfback pairing, you know, a year ago. Yeah. It would have been Conor It wouldn't have been Smith and Barrett at that stage. It would have been Conor Murray and Sexton. So, yes, they would certainly fear Ireland at a quarterfinal because they know in Chicago and they know from here what Ireland can produce when things are going right for them. They know Joe Schmidt's an extremely shrewd tactical coach, so they would rather avoid Ireland, of course, you know, despite it putting them on the tougher side of the draw because they would get over Scotland, presumably, if it was Scotland or Japan mm. uh, at a quarterfinal. They'd then disappear into England's... Uh, side of the draw, presumably. But this is given on that we know all the results are going to happen, that England yeah. topped their group, that um, the, the group that's hardest to call is, 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 is do Australia top that group or do Wales top that group? Because that has a lot to play in who Ireland might meet at a semi-final. Yeah. I know uh, we're getting carried away uh, with ourselves. No, but, well, know. again, but I just wanted to talk briefly about Australia because I do really want to get on to the Ireland-Scotland match because I don't, we've, we've plenty of time over the course of the World yeah. Cup to talk about a lot of these. But... If we don't take the rugby championship seriously, say, yeah. from like South Africa's point of view, or maybe even yeah. the, the slip and form from New exactly. Zealand's that we don't really know, then we can't really say that Australia are out of crisis either. You know, because no, they came in, crisis. they came into the European summer, the uh, so, yeah. Southern Hemisphere winter, um, in like really oh, like, check out, is he going to stay? Is he going to go? What's going well, on? The whole like, game is Ralph Folau. Uh, Michael Checker, the finances involved in 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 Australian rugby, uh, you know, exodus of players going yeah. to Japan, exodus of players going to rugby league or the the NRL, yeah, all those things. And were, winning were, one Bledisloe Cup match doesn't change that. Like, doesn't yeah. change it. No, yeah. no, because if you look back at how their provincial teams um, uh, played, underperformed in the in the in the super super series traditionally underperformed the last few years. The only thing I'll say about Australia, and, and not just the rugby, sport in general, you cannot get a more competitive uh, uh, country at Olympics, at World Cups. Mm. Australia will pull out a massive upset somewhere along this tournament. Now, whether that's against Ireland or something in a, in a, in a, in a semi-final, whether that's against New Zealand in a semi-final, whoever it's against, they have that ability in a one-off match to, for everything to come together. I mean, you put Hooper and Pocock in a team, you put, you know, some of these game-breakers, you get Guinea playing well, you get, you know, Bert, uh, Kirtley Beale who can change a game. If they get a bit of confidence... But for the same reason they could do that, they could lose to Fiji straight up, or they could lose to. I think Australia. I think Australia will beat Wales. I think Wales are going to be. I'm not wanting to rain on the parade. I know Warren Gatlin's done a great job, and I know they the the Grand Slammers, and I know all that. I just think they're going to come unstuck at this World Cup for some reason. I've just a gut feeling. We all see the Rob Howley stuff affecting their camp. Yeah. Anscombe, they should never keep that player on the field. I could see that he was injured. Everybody in TV land could see. Get him off the pitch. I think persisting with him so that he, he finally pulled up lame and, and, and was out of the tour. I don't think they have a lot of strength and depth. I think they were very limited in, in the Aviva recently, despite trying hard. I, they didn't see they had much creative play in their back line. So I see them, I probably see them as quarter-finalists, but I think that's as far as they will go. Mm, interesting, yeah, because it, you know, if you'd said this a few months ago, you oh, would have to put Wales the favourites against Australia. Yeah. Um, 
we didn't get a chance to talk about the Howley thing. I don't really have time to go into it fully, but just on how much of a big deal that is for a squad of players, we shouldn't underestimate that. It's not like it's one of their main coaches, uh, a, like a legend of the of rugby yeah. in the country, yeah. someone who's been around with this team a long time. And for these things to come out, obviously we'll wait, we'll wait and see what comes out of it as to whether what Rob is guilty or not guilty of. But the fact is, he's gone home in well, scandal. He's a tech coach. And he's not he's not there anymore for one thing, so their coaching is missed out. But even just for the for the what the fuck's going on here attitude of the players talking to each other, you know, in, having breakfast in the morning, that's no, not going right. to be an easy camp because, now, is it? No, exactly. And I mean, people don't place enough stock in a few things around World Cup. For one, you're in a foreign country for seven weeks. Yeah, you've got to remain to get the final. You might lose one match. You've got to win effectively six games or, or, or seven games on the trot. You know, to, to to win a World Cup, people get fed up with each other, and more so now because there's not a hellish lot to do. If you take out the old kind of, I suppose people say the old drink culture or the, the going out the nights before games, and that was was a part of it. It certainly fed into having a good time at World Cup socially. But these players now, if they get out to the movies, they're lucky. If they play cards or something like that, like how do you amuse yourself, especially if you're a type of player that likes a bit of downtime on your own? You know, if you're a player in Ireland here that... that, that and it was always said of the French teams, the French teams never performed away from home because they liked simple things like being able to stay in their own bed or something of a night, get a good night's sleep, have a breakfast they're used to, being around loved ones or anything. So you take all... You take all that away from teams, and it's how they deal with that is equally as important off the field as on the field. So everything has to be right. The food you eat, you know, your sleep patterns. Um, now, I know technology has played a huge part in that. They'll carry Ireland, will have nutritionists, they'll have strength and condition yeah. guys, they'll have all that. But it still doesn't take away the boredom of being stuck in one place, training every day, recovering you know, a rugby player's day looks something like this. You know, sort of get up, your breakfast is laid out for you, what you should eat and, and what you shouldn't. Go off, if it's a non-training uh, day, if you're doing your strength and conditioning, go off for a couple of hours, do your weights, do your sprints, everything, come back, uh, shut the lights off, try to get a few hours sleep, which is important, come back in the afternoon and do it all over again, come back at night, maybe watch a video, go to bed. <laughs> that's Yeah. That's And put that on repeat. And everything is, because of that, you're not in your most normal state of mind. No. Everything is amplified because you've only got one thing in your mind and that's the match. So something like this happening, Absolutely. Is, it's a big deal anyway, but it becomes life-changing. Well, life-changing, yeah. life-changing and, and, and tournament-changing because what about, if, what about if Rob Halley is in your corner? What about if you're one of those players that's on the, on the, on the periphery of selection and Rob Halley is somebody that's keeping you in there or he wants to select you and you've got that confidence going to the World Cup and saying, well, I know Rob likes me. Yeah. Like, it'd be the same. It'd be the same with Joe Schmidt. If Joe Schmidt suddenly, if Joe Schmidt suddenly was a big fan, was a big fan of yours and you thought, okay, I'm going to get a chance. Joe's going to give me a chance. He told me suddenly he's gone and some other coach comes in and doesn't think so highly of you. So there'll be a lot of that going on. Was he personal friends with some of the players? Like, you know, was he a good guy to have around that players enjoyed him? Yeah. That comes into it as well, because that also comes in selection. And I talk about that like a player like Reese Ruddock. 
And people say to me, oh, you're, you're, you're a Ruddock fan. And I tell you why, because he's the type of player you need at a World Cup. He may not start every game. He may only start one game or two mm. games. But he'll probably captain the teams in those exactly. games. Yeah. And he's a guy, he's positive. People like being around him. If you meet him on the street, he's a lovely guy. He gets on well with all the players. Players like, you're far better off having a player like that than someone that's a bit mercenary, someone that's a, you know... Because I just listened to a story there. Neil Back was telling the funny story that Clive Woodward came in to them before the World Cup in, in 2003 and said, I've got some good news, I've got some bad news. What do you want first? And he said, what's the bad news? They said that Austin Healy is being flown out as a replacement. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, you know so they, and they laugh about it now, but he said, and, and, and then he came back and said, what's the good news? The good news is that, you know, Kieran Bracken has recovered, so he's not coming now or something, you know. <laughs> but I mean, to take the... You know, because Austin Healy was a, probably a difficult guy around yeah. the camp. And, you know, and that made him unique, but I mean... So, yes, going back to the original question, I think that, that, that Rob Howley, who's worked with Warren Gatlin for, you know, and the Lions as well, um, yes, is a huge, it's a huge disruption. It's a huge disruption. We're nearly 45 minutes in and we've Ooh. barely talked about Ireland. We've barely <laughs> talked about Ireland. But you know what? It's been refreshing, actually, because there is yeah. so much more to the World Absolutely. Cup than just... And, and I think for rugby fans, we're going to enjoy this as a festival of rugby. But exactly. regardless of what happens, and there's interesting stories in every country, as we've just talked about, but I don't think we'll we'll enjoy it in a way. But unless we're at full pelt and Ireland are going and we yeah. go and beat Scotland this Absolutely. Sunday and look like the team from 2018 Absolutely. rather than the team for 2019, it won't no. capture no, the imagination. No. Yeah. Because of the GAA and the, and the replay and all these things we talked about, there's so much going on. It, people aren't, you know, people aren't coming up in the street. They're only coming up to me now and saying, oh, you're off to Japan, you know, like, you know, we're looking forward to the games. People didn't know where they could watch the games for, for a period of time. There was all these divvying up of where you could even watch it. I think just quickly looking to the game on Saturday, I just, I see that Ireland's preparations, I think, have been superior to Scotland's. And I mean that playing Wales, even though they got the, the pacing from England, we know that, but they bounced back. Playing Wales twice I think is a stronger leader than playing Georgia home and away I think the Scottish players I don't know whether they'll acclimatise I don't know whether they have the ability to acclimatise as quickly as Ireland to the conditions over there that they're going to face um, Scotland be dangerous but by the nature of the way they want to play the game it'll be full out quick offloading match it'll be a bit like Gregor Townsend favours with you know with the Scottish provinces I don't think they can match Ireland up front. I don't think when the when it becomes humid and hot and hard grounds, Ireland have that ability to grind teams down, superior scrum, probably a superior line out, although that's a question mark till Saturday. Johnny Sexton's ability to, again, put the ball in behind the Scots. Um, a lot depends on Scotland's game breakers. Who are they? Finn Russell at 10, mm -hmm. definitely. Uh, probably Darcy and Hogg. Um, Always, always tough enough up front, without any kind of world-renowned stars. Gray is a is a is a is, has a huge engine like like Ryan. He's a workload Barclay, and make they make a good back row. Watson, probably yeah. Hamish Watson is dangerous on the ground, but I think we have Josh Vanderfly to to to. Well, there's there's one. Do we? <laughs> because I think you match Watson like with like. He's probably the quickest out-and-out open-sider in the, in the tournament, actually, alongside Hooper and Van der Flyer. But there was some talk that, that seven jersey might go to Peter Armani. I think that would be a mistake. 
I'd have to say. I think, and and that's been a lot of the talk this week when, when you know we've talked to various people, and like my sense is that he will go with Van der Flyer for this game. Yes, and he should. It's horses for courses. And After that, in the weirdest way, in that the back row was once O'Brien and Levy were kind of ruled out, yeah. it became the most open uh, of positions. And I mean, we said two or three weeks ago, it's like Peter Matney's the only one guaranteed his place on, on, in the back row and we don't know whether he's going to start at mm. six or seven. But I think, weirdly, when it's all ironed out, we're going to end up with what we started with, aren't we? With uh, O'Matney, Stander and Van der Fleer. Conan, he didn't, he didn't really put his foot forward in no, either of those two games. No, I... I don't think he will, and it's interesting, and that's 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 why I have these because it's interesting. To, oh, sorry. <laughs> it it's interesting, isn't it? and that's why we have these uh, discussions because he's probably leaning. I don't know, Joe. He's probably leaning to Romani at six, Conan at eight, and Van der Fleer at seven. I think he's probably leaning that way, and I'd be a little bit surprised if that wasn't the case. But you're quite right. CJ Stander made huge strides in the last match against Wales. He was back to his ball-carrying uh, ability again. Um, I just worry that at eight, he's not given the space to carry ball. So, yes, it could yeah. be it could be Omani, Stander, and Van der Flock. I just think it's going to be I just think it's going to be Conan at eight. But it would be a huge risk, in my opinion, having played all the three positions and knowing them well, it would be a huge risk as far as I'm concerned, and it's my only personal opinion, that to start Peter Armani at seven would be a risk against someone like Hamish Watson, presuming that he plays at seven for Scotland. Because I think it's Josh van der Fleer's natural position. It's not Peter Armani's natural position. His natural yeah. position is six. Yeah. It's not seven. Um He's too he's too tall in the modern game to be that ground foraging type of player that you need at seven on hard grounds. If it was a wet, mucky day, and you're in which London or something, in, which in, it might in, be, but, but the grounds it, will be. It'll be muggy be, though. Yeah, it'll, it'll be, be muggy, and yeah. the ground and, and and horse racing sense the track will be fast. Yeah, as it will before the matches. Yeah, so that's going to favour teams. That's what I was talking about before. That's going to favour teams like Japan. It's no, it's no secret that Japan have to try to you know create conditions that, advantage, that, that, yeah. are, that, that are best for them and it's that sort of it's that sort of hard ground a hot day and that's why i just think it may trip up south africa it may trip up england i think the teams that have the big heavy packs you see a guy like Vunapola carrying 21 stone in the heat or something, he doesn't want to be rushing around the paddock chasing after some fijian runaway or something like he doesn't the English game is based on power. Now they do it well. Mm-hmm. I give them that. Same as South Africa. South Africa, you couldn't get a you couldn't get a better team looking physically. You couldn't. Yeah. The size of them, you know, they they're brutes. But in hot conditions, what do you want going across the desert in hot conditions? Do you want brutes carrying an extra forty five pounds in the pack? No. You want players across the top of the sand. Yeah, you know. absolutely. Yeah, well, hopefully Ireland have a few of them. One worry though would be is that those some of those players aren't aren't necessarily available. We know Robbie Henshaw is not going to make Scotland, no. but the update this morning from Andy Farrell suggested that he, uh, Carney. Carney and Earls are available for selection. Yeah. They're ready. However, the hints coming from Japan yeah. are You're they won't selected. be risked, right? No. So even though this no. is the biggest game Ireland will have for a month no. until the quarterfinal, you don't want to risk them. It does leave us a little bit thin the ground and inexperienced. So you have a back three then of Stockdale. 
Kearney, uh, Stock, Stockdale, Larimer, and Conway. Yeah. You know, no, none of whom have 100 no, caps. Right. And, 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 and probably no real cover either because no. you're probably having to put Chris Farrell on the bench and that leaves Absolutely. Ring Rose probably as the back as the back tree cover. You and know? that would be a different way of thinking if, if, if Ireland had another big gun in their group. If mm. they had, say, Argentina... If they if if the group if the group was kind of I suppose Scotland Argentina and Ireland, Joe Schmidt would be looking at it completely different. He would yeah. say this is a must win game. It's hopefully it's a winning start, but if it's not, it's not the end of the world. Okay. I mean they can bounce back. And in, in fact, in fact, they may they may say they may say if that was to happen and results were to go their way the way they the way they're thinking that it could be advantageous to play either, depending on what Joe's thinking, either New Zealand or South Africa, dictated by that result. But I don't think, they've got a month. You see, they've got a month, if they can get through this game, they've got a month to, to repair things like hamstring. Robbie Henshaw, if this was a Six Nation campaign, Robbie Henshaw would probably be going home mm. because they'd probably say, look, we can't give him two weeks for the hamstring to come right. And hamstring is still a concern for Robbie Henshaw. Yeah. It gives Gary Ringrose a chance. I, I, he's been a player that has dipped a bit in form this year, I'd have to say. Yeah. Um, and you know you would have thought you would have thought that you would have thought that the automatic selection would have been a year ago would have been Henshaw at twelve and Gary Ringrose at thirteen. Now you'd be hard pressed to leave Bundy Arkey. I out don't the way think so. Yeah, you're no, right. So, yeah. So Arkey goes in. Ringrose will come in for Henshaw. Yes, though I don't know whether they'll risk Rob Carney. They might risk uh, uh, Earls because I don't. Th- you know, they've more cover for that. Mm. And I think, you know, you're in a situation against Scotland who are great counter-attackers that I think you've got to have a guy like a safe pair of hands at the back. Uh, but yes, a bit thin on the ground. But it would be foolish if Ireland don't think they're going to go through with, with without a number of injuries. And they may, hopefully, fingers crossed, have them all in week one. Yeah. Because the question is, is when Joey, when Joey Carberry going to make a comeback? And, yeah. You know. He's going to have to have some game time too. Absolutely, yeah. He could be ready to go uh, pretty soon as well. Again, probably not risk for this week, but it is good that the the, the structure is almost di- it's different than last time when we had to build up into the World Cup, and by the time they played France, there was almost nobody left to go and, and play. Yes, Argentina, and it's an yeah. ar- it's a slightly arrogant way of looking at it because what you're doing is you're presuming that you can go out. Uh, that you're going to beat Scotland, even though you're not going to be at full strength, as we said. That's my my only worry. My only worry for this weekend is that if they slip up, if Ireland slip up, whatever way, if they lose by a point or whatever and something happens in the game and they should have won but they didn't, then you've got to marshal your troops pretty quickly and get those players back on board for a Japanese side that'll come at you. And that's not the game that you want to test out uh, out Joey Carberry or these guys in that. And yet, and yet, should they lose to Japan, this is worst case scenario, then they're out of it more or less. So yeah. when do you risk those players? Because you can risk them against Russia and against Samoa, obviously. But but that may be too late if they were to lose. So that's why the game does become important. It's not the end of the world if Ireland lose, but it makes things a lot more difficult. I think they'll meet. Here's my predictions. I may be wrong. I think they'll top the group, and I think it'll be South Africa they meet in the quarterfinal, and then we'll go from there. That's yeah. First stage done. We'll take that. We'll take that. Yeah. I wasn't going to let you end it on a negative there, but you didn't. You've turned no. it into a positive all in your oh, own absolutely. Brent. You know what you're doing in, the, in, in this game. Doing. You've been doing it a few years. Doing. Yes, and I'm, I'm. I'm. You know. Again, World Cups. So I'm not far wrong. And yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, because I think that. Uh, 
we're going out in the quarterfinals. No, no, <laughs> no. I, you know, I put my hand on the heart, and I'm not just saying it because this is an Irish podcast. I've said it all along, and I've been hoo hard and everything like that. I've I've said it all along that 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 if Ireland get through that quarterfinal, then they've got to believe that they can win it. Yeah. And I've always I've always dreamt. I've always dreamt since I've been in this country. And this is my sixth World Cup, covering it on television, longer than anybody. I've always dreamt of that day when Ireland will meet the All Blacks in a World Cup final. Wow, what that'll be like for me. And I'm not going to say who I'd be supporting or I'm not. (laughs) Let's just wish for that. We'll take it. Yeah, I said the emotion of that for you, even alone, never mind everybody else, would be unbelievable. Um, Before we go, Brent, we're going to talk to you in Japan next week. We're going to talk to you over the phone and we'll have you on. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll have you on every week um, throughout the show. Um, We're doing this. It's the, the Brent Pope World Cup Rugby World Cup podcast um, we carry out off license but before we go I've got some questions for you quick segment called would the Pope lie yes I don't know um, so you're going to tell me a couple of things about the Rugby World Cup and I'm going to have to tell you whether that's it's true truth or, or not. not yeah but the Pope okay. wouldn't lie number one in fact you realise that Georgia have the heaviest pack of anybody in this World Cup mm. am I lying or is that the truth I think that's a lie. Yes, it is. Who do you think has the heaviest pack? South Africa? No. England? No. Okay, go on. Tonga. Tonga, okay, there we go. Naturally heavy. Okay. Right, I'm one from one here. One from one. (laughs) This is not such a bad one, a hard one. There are four countries who will perform a haka at this World Cup. Okay. But you have to, do you have to tell me who they are? Or is it a no, you've quiz? got to tell me who they are. Oh, is okay. that true or not? There oh, sorry. Okay, yeah. There are four countries who will perform the hark at the World Cup. <laughs> I misunderstood <laughs> the game I don't there. give you the answer the to game, the question. Uh, that I'm hosting the podcast for. There are four for. countries who will yeah, perform okay, a hark so at the World Cup. New Zealand is that true? will perform is that a hark. true or not? I'm just trying to count oh, yeah. them out in my head. So New Zealand will perform a I think Tonga have one. Don't look at me. For yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Be all said Samoa. And do Fiji do one? I'm not sure if they do or not. I'm being very kind of uh, ah, ignorant well, give it about... To you. Yeah, I'll right. say true, yeah. You're right. All New four Zealand, of them, Samoa. all the South Pacific yeah. Islands... New Zealand, Samoa, okay. Fiji and Tonga. I, I just about got that one. Okay. The nickname of the Uruguayan rugby team is Los Terros, which means the pigeons. Oh, that can't be true. No, you're right. <laughs> the Tero is a, a southern lapwing, Uruguay's national bird. It didn't sound quite good, didn't okay. it? The pigeons. So it's not the pigeons. What, okay. what do you want to be called? You know, what do you want to be called? Yeah, you know, hold on. Don't get too worried, guys. This week we're playing the pigeons. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have that ring no. of sort of, you know, if it was the savages or the leopards or yeah. whatever, you know. Fine. It's probably still better than the England Saxons, isn't it? Oh, the Saxons, yeah. <laughs> uh, always, yeah. Brent, is that all of them? No. Oh, one more time. Last one. The nickname of the Namibian rugby team is the Wellowishes. Spelt Wellowishes. That's the nickname of the Namibian rugby team. I'll go true for that one. Yeah, you're right. Is it? It's a plant that grows in the African desert that has a remarkable ability to absorb fog. I have to say, I'm I'm very very impressed that with myself it. there four for four. getting well, we'll have, four I'll, out I'll of have four. to get some tougher ones next time. Yeah. Because I didn't think you get the last one, but uh, given that the plant that has remarkable, how do you have a remarkable ability to absorb fog? Yeah, they no. might put. Hey, if it's a foggy match and you're playing <laughs> and you're playing Namibia, 
imagine them bringing out all these plants onto the field and and at the, at half time and then swapping the plants in the second half. We'll find out if the Pope lies uh, next week again in Japan and we'll see if I can continue my 100% record. But more importantly, we'll have lots more World Cup talk. Um, are you looking forward to, to going out there now? Like it's, I can't wait. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going out um, a, a, a couple of years ago. I didn't know whether RT would have the coverage back, which we did. So I'll be back for those uh, for my two fans out there that from the quarterfinal onwards. Um, so I decided, to, I've always been kind of, I've gone out and Trevor Brennan set up a, a rugby tour company a few years ago. So I've gone out of an ambassador's, this is the fourth tour with Mark Vincent, they run a good show. So there's two, there's about 200 of us going out tomorrow on the flight. So that'd be a good crack. Yeah. You know? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> a lot of them, a lot of them are, are, are sometimes related to the players or they'll be the players' parents. I remember having Great time with Tommy Bowie's parents in Australia one time. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, Jamie. I think Jamie Hislip's parents were on. A lot of them go on these tours associated with with the rugby, but it's good fun. You know, you're yeah. talking you're talking rugby. You know, sometimes it can get quite hard work because you're having to talk the talk the game from breakfast <laughs> to to red wine time. But um, I love it. You know, because it's the first. It's the first one, yes, I've been at other events, you know, but it's the first one I've been able to sort of go and, and say, look, there's less, you know, I, I can just enjoy it. I'm not I'm not working on the panel from, from the start. I'm going out there for the first, I'll see the first two matches and then I'll come back. Great. Uh, for Russia and, and Samoa and the quarterfinals and everything. I was originally going out for the quarterfinals and semis, but, you know, I, uh, I've, I'm coming back to do the panel for that, which is important. Yeah. I want to be, you know, I'd actually like to be, you know, funny enough, I'd like to be here. Hmm. This I'd like to be in Ireland if I think it's the place to be if Ireland get to a semi-final or final. I just think it's that sort of situation. I'd love, I'd love the whole country to get behind and sort of have that because I always hear memories. It was what year before I came here that Euro Italian ninety the yeah, World Cup yeah Italian yeah, ninety yeah. and people still talk about that yeah getting off the bus in town and the and the and you know there's all these stories around that time yeah. that period where they just suddenly and I think rugby would be like that if yeah. they got to a semi-final or final people wouldn't be going into work that day you know I know no, it's a different time we would but that's only to talk more rugby so we don't really yeah, have but jobs quick. so fingers <laughs> crossed when I say we I mean that from an Irish point of view um, uh, that you know I'm just hoping my dream ticket comes true that I'll be sitting here talking to you about an upcoming Ireland, New Zealand, World Cup final. Let's go with that. Yeah, you never know. Listen, thanks, Brent. We'll talk to you next week. And thanks a million to carry out off-license as well for um, for organising all this. We'll be back next Wednesday and we'll be talking about how Ireland uh, beat the crap out of Scotland and we're <laughs> on to Japan. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Balls of the E in association with Carry Out Off Licence, Ireland's number one independent off licence.